Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons, a podcast where we talk about creative writing with both determination and deliberation and dragons. I am Peter, and that is Izzy. Hello. And we are going to talk about my fourth story in my series of Panna and Waveskimmer stories. This time, we're going to be focusing specifically on characters. There's a lot of character things I want to talk about. And before we get into my story, we wanted to talk about two characters who really kind of fit into the story that I want to tell in how they are represented, portrayed, kind of the things that they go through. So as we think about my story, I want to keep these two other characters in the back of my mind. Well, in the back of all of our minds. So, Izzy, you kind of know these characters better than I do. Do you want to explain who we will be briefly talking about? I mean, I've only seen the show through once, and I rewatched the first season once. But Shira is still one of my favorite shows. I'm just not much of a rewatcher. But the dynamic between Katra and Adora, the two protagonists, is. I mean, at least for the beginning seasons, from what I know of, for your characters, very similar to the dynamic between Pana and this other character, Vare. Very used to be friends, but now toxic, sort of complicated enemies relationship. Yeah, and I think the thing that I think a lot about with Katra and Adora is that they're constantly meeting up with each other. And, you know, they're not just fighting necessarily, they're also having these discussions and there's these moments where they are forced to work together or not even necessarily forced, but sometimes they just do and you kind of get more of a sense of what each is missing, what each of them wants and what they're experiencing in that moment. So it just really kind of pushes that relationship and exploring what that's like for each of the characters and that's kind of what I want to do with my story a little bit to like to a much lesser degree because of course like I am not as good at writing characters and I'm more focused on like larger socio-political type of things (laughs) Um, but as we were going through Izzy and I both realized that you know Pana and Vare their story is very reminiscent of Katra and Adora to the point where there was one moment in a later story that we haven't gotten to yet that is just super (laughs) very (laughs) like Katra and Adora. Um, But I won't spoil that yet for all of you, but we'll talk about it when we get there for sure. I have not read the story yet, but Peter was telling me about it and oh man, (laughs) it's so similar. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I had just watched a specific scene in She-Ra with Katra and Adora, and I based it off of that. At least, like, I'm pretty sure I did. I wrote this a while ago, so I don't remember everything. And as we will find out in this story, too, there are things that I just, like, don't remember, and I have no idea what they're supposed to mean. So... Everyone, when you write, like, keep notes of what you're actually trying to do, because you you might forget sometimes. 
Yes, if there's a meaning to a character name, maybe write it down if you're attached to that meaning. Um, yeah. No, not not from my own personal experience, but um, a friend does that. Uh, she writes down the character names and their meanings so she remembers for the important ones. Oh, that's good. I need to start like writing a list. But anyway, moving on. Mm-hmm. Would you like we... to tell us a quick backstory or not backstory a summary of the story yeah so to briefly kind of summarize this story this is possibly a more fillery episode of our continuing panda and wave skimmer story lies so i it's a good one but i can see i kind of intended it at first to be a little bit more fillery don't don't more like character driven not filler but it's it's less plot driven and more like character driven i think so i basically character driven is not filler that is that is fair but basically pan and wave skimmer are coming from that village of riotho that they had just visited and they're in the woods by a waterfall trying to figure out how this magical stone thing works Hana tries to learn how to swim because there's water now and everything isn't just ice. So that's cool. Swimming is fun, everyone. You should all do it. And then Vare comes. Vare is their old friend from their village who is now leading the hunt to find them. She's technically supposed to bring them back to the village, although there's some doubt as to whether or not that's what's going to occur so there's a brief altercation by this waterfall Pana breaks their arm or dislocates their arm they do both yeah both um but they managed to escape with wave skimmer and then they realize that they left the magic stone back by the waterfall so they need to go back and they have another altercation and there's a lot of like just talking with Vare. And, I mean, not a lot of talking with Vare. Vare doesn't talk that much. But there's this altercation, and they go into, like, this tomb, and there's a bunch of, like, carvings and stuff, and ultimately Pana finds the stone and breaks apart, like, the cave ceiling, and, like, water floods in, and the stone saves them all from being flooded. Vare escapes along with another villager who had join the hunt with her and then everyone leaves and it's not really that happy but everyone's safe for now um sort of they're injured they're all injured and i'm gonna keep them injured for the rest of the story because i feel like that's not something you ever see and i really wanted to push that so i mean that's that's more relevant for next story i guess but also they don't have like hospitals and things so it wouldn't it doesn't make sense yeah there's no like secret you know like back to tanks that you can just like put someone into and like have them heal overnight so there's that oh and we also get um while Pana and wave skimmer are kind of hiding from vare before they realize that the stone is missing wave skimmer like has a dream about his backstory so you get to see where the dragons kind of have been living since 
like for the last couple hundred years you see like where wave skimmer was born what it was like when he met pana for the first time and you get a little bit more about just like the history of Pananvare specifically and like what happened or like I guess the idea that Pana stayed in the village for a year after the whole hunting party incident thing so there's a little bit of like development there and I think that's basically kind of it oh and also just the villagers that were with Vare at first who were helping to hunt down Pana they all left or died so now it's just her and one person named Kai which is just a really great name it's one of my favorite names but that's irrelevant <laughs> I also appreciate the name Kai it does give me internal conflict to think is it K is it Kai K is the inferior version in my opinion but some people pronounce it that way but I like Kai Oh, it is, it is Kai. It is just such a good name. There's a villain in Kung Fu Panda named Kai, a person in Legend of Korra. Wait, I just love Korra? the name. It's that little, like, airbender guy in season three who's I the thief. As, I ask as if I'll remember, but <laughs> I don't remember. No, he's good. Yeah, and I just, like, know someone from Vassar who, who's named Kai, which was, like, just super cool. I didn't it's a know great them. name. I knew everyone you knew, obviously. Of course. Absolutely. That's how that's how the world works. I think that's interesting. When you mentioned the um, broken arm thing, I was also thinking, well, one, as I was reading the story, I was like, they have incredible pain tolerance. How do they do it? Is it a story device or adrenaline? <laughs> but um, other than that, I do appreciate that you want to keep their arm and Pana's arm broken and Vari's wrist broken, Vari broke her wrist. Because there's no way they would be healed. They don't even have, like, splints. Yeah, I just feel like in most stories we don't get this sense that injuries are lasting or that they impact people all that much. Even in, like, I mean, in She-Ra, like, the characters get thrown against things and, like, they they go through a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's like in the next scene they're all, like, unscuffed and just ready to go. <laughs> Um, and that's not a criticism of She-Ra. That's like every single story, basically. Yeah. Um, no, plot armor is thick. And magic exists in She-Ra and other stories. Many stories are just like, magic healing, let's go. Paralysis, it's cured. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, there's a few stories that like that I'm aware of that have started to try to push that a little bit more. So I don't know... You've watched The Dragon Prince, right? That part pissed me so much. I, I did not like what they did with um, Soren. But at least it's like a little bit kind of pushing this idea that injuries are real. Yeah, sort but of. then they, they do the magic healing. I mean, it is still something that probably wouldn't have even been focused on before. But then they're yeah. like, we still can't have an actually disabled character. So we're going to heal him. Yeah. So we're just talking about in the Dragon Prince, this one character like breaks his back after fighting a dragon. And it seems like they're actually going to have this character whose injury sticks with him. 
and it does for a while i think for like the majority of that episode it was one episode yeah but then like his sister goes and like does this dark magic spell and like heals him but like she has to sacrifice a deer to do it and like her hair gets all like like i think her life force is probably draining away to some degree like her hair turns white i don't know what's happening with that but so yes like it is super disappointing like you almost have this like really interesting idea in the show but i think more so than other shows and movies and books that i'm aware of they kind of played with this idea that like oh injuries are important and in order to heal those injuries like you need to really put more effort into a thing like going to the Pokemon Center and like putting <laughs> your torched like Trico into a little machine and it like it beeps a few times and everything's good again. So it's like a little bit harder to heal this one character's injuries than it is for like most other characters in like every other story. Which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I kinda just like wanted to really push that and be like, hey, like you know Pana broke their arm and they're not gonna just like find a magical like healing spring and like be okay in the next story Mm -hmm. i do think um well i of course i appreciate that because it's like people are humans and we're not just machines that can keep going even with broken arms or you know even a paper cut Like, I burned my finger the other day, and it's been, like, three weeks, and now it's better. And it's, like, it's been affecting the use of my hand for three weeks, and it was just a tiny burn. So, humans are fragile. Yeah, and we all need to, like, take care of ourselves and rest and not just, like, dive head on into another injury-inducing situation. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do understand there's so many plot and magical or supernatural reasons that you can say a character my character has super strength even though they're injured they can get on with it um which you can definitely build characters that way but i think it's the easier way out yeah i mean there's ways in which it works yes Um, i'm now thinking of like legend of korra though where korra has to like relearn how to walk and everything and like move her toes and that takes like three years so just like i mean not that like learning to walk part i think that took the better part of like a year but in order for her to like completely heal from like the physical and mental trauma of that of her like past experiences it took like around three years i totally forgot so much time passed in cora it's been a long time since i watched that yeah but I think, like, just for me, and on this topic of injuries, like, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love Korra and why I'm kind of pushing for it in this story. Like, I broke my femur when I was four, and, like, I didn't just jump up the next day and, like, go back to riding my bike. It took <laughs> a few months, and I had to relearn how to walk. So, yeah, I'm really good at walking now. I learned how to do it twice, so... <laughs> But just, like, seeing that and kind of witnessing characters who, like, go through the same thing, I think is really just interesting. Not that, like, again, not everything needs to be super realistic and, like, adhere to what we experience in our everyday lives. But I think it's 
I, I want some characters who do, because right now there are, like, none. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I also appreciate, because it makes them feel a little more relatable to me, not that I've ever had such a major injury that required months of rehab personally, but, um, you know, just the feeling of, like, this person's a person and can't just get up. They have, you know, they're not just... I guess I'm coming more from the mindset of like, I do love, you know, at times I love seeing the invulnerable protagonist who has plot armor and, you know, only gets shot in the shoulder and it's just a graze and I'm like, yes, go beat the people who are somehow missing shooting your vital organs or even getting shot in their vital organs and they're just like, it's a flesh wound. Like sometimes, sometimes that's the kind of story I need to see or I need to read. But sometimes I like, I do very much appreciate having a character who is more on, you know, my level of like, I just rolled out of bed and now it's a big chore to just brush my teeth. Yeah, we can't all be, you know, Darth Maul getting cut in half and returning a little while later to, to retake over the criminal underworld. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for that, those that of is you, a tangent. For those of you who aren't big in the Star Wars thing, uh, Darth Maul comes back in, like, the end of the Solo movie, and I don't know what else he's in. Oh, yeah, no, Clone Wars, spoiler alert, he, he survives past episode one, despite not having a lower body. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, things things happen in, in Star Wars, and they often unhappen <laughs> as a result of the writers. But, yeah, not to make that into a huge tangent i i back to the injury thing but in the friend <laughs> through the friendship lens which is our original lens uh our original theme is finally reappearing i thought it was really cool and maybe intentional maybe unintentional that vare and pana both injured some part of their arm i, I don't know if they were the same arm no vare injured her right wrist and pana broke dislocated left and arm. broke their left arm so it's like opposite arms but i thought it was in interesting that they both had sort of injuries but they're not quite proportional like pana is much more injured than vare but it it was kind of a sharing of pain because like there's pain on both sides of their relationship for their friendship that is pretty much broken now from what i can see from just the four chapters that they have that have been shown to me but i think there is something there with they're not physically okay and they're also like emotionally not okay either that's a hundred percent exactly what i was thinking of when i wrote that no questions asked um <laughs> no i mean i think that's a that's a great point. And a lot of times, you know, characters and their appearance and the physical traumas they go through is a way to represent all that other stuff. So I think that is a really good point. Like, there's definitely an aspect of their previous friendship that is very much broken. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that, of course, using, like, a physical injury or something as metaphor or symbolism for inner trauma or whatever isn't does not always work and can be done 
badly just as any other thing can be written badly. But um, I thought it was interesting from what little I do know, you know, the way the external can reveal the internal of how like when Vare breaks her wrist, her reaction was, I'm going to ignore this pain and it will literally take a lightning storm to convince me to stop pursuing Pana. And it's like she disregards the needs of her own body so much that she just barely yeah. waits for her wrist to be bandaged before she goes back on the hunt. And Pana kind of does the same thing, but for different reasons. Because Pana has a much more significant injury, a dislocated and broken arm. And they do sit and wait it out for a little bit, but then they're immediately like, we gotta go back and find the rock that they lost. Which, the rock is a very important rock, but they could have just sent Wave Skimmer, now that I think of it. Like, Pana didn't have to go to get the rock themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think, so definitely the way that they deal with the their injuries, like, that was more purposeful, and... Yeah, I mean, Vare, like, is totally just, like, obsessed with the whole chasing down Pana and bringing Pana back to the village to, like, face justice sort of thing. So she's really not thinking much about herself. And I think we're going to see that a lot in this story, like, just the ways in which, like, obsession can kind of lead you to disregard your own well-being. And that's kind of where, where Kai comes in to you know sit Vare down and be like hey like no you need to like heal like we need to like you know bandage your wrist at the very least before you go and like you know scale a cliff to go and find Pana and Pana like Pana does run away and like hides and tries to heal up and only you know returns after they've at least bandaged their arm to the best of their abilities and has had at least some time to like recuperate. I mean, there's also, like you said, they do kind of rush back to go and collect the stone. But I mean, I guess you could read that as also like being obsessed with a stone. Actually, maybe that is the way I want to read it. I'm not sure. There is this sense of like Pana not necessarily i mean they're still thinking about themselves and like what they they want to do and what is best for their body in that moment and like what is best for them like they do take the time to like rest and and tell wave skimmer like hey i don't really want to talk about vari right now like let's rest today but then like you know at the end of the day there are still things that you need to do and like tasks that you need to complete and Maybe it isn't an obsession and maybe it is just, you know, this idea of like, you know, I've I've done what I can for me in the moment and waiting any longer is really going to hurt more than it than it will help because we do need to go and collect this stone and make sure that we can use it for good. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, now that you're talking about obsession, um and I'm thinking responsibility. It's reminding me a lot of Lord of the Rings and the ring, which it very much, for those of you who don't know, which I think is not many people have at least a passing knowledge of Lord of the Rings, but they have to take this very important, powerful magic ring and go and destroy it. And it's a big, long journey. 
and one person, Frodo, is responsible for carrying the ring to the giant volcano. And it's this burden that he carries for the entirety of the series. But I'm thinking The Rock in some ways is kind of like that, where it's both a responsibility for the good of everyone that Pana looks after and takes care of this rock. And The Rock is not necessarily a thing of evil like The Ring is. We don't have that confirmed yet. Um. It, it is not. It is, it is just a cool rock that does whatever I want it to do. <laughs> so The Rock is cool. But there definitely does seem to be some idea of responsibility, but at some personal cost. And for Frodo, the personal cost was ginormous, and he never recovered after being the ring bearer. I don't know if that's going to be the same for Pana, but there are some responsibilities that it's like, there does require a certain amount of personal sacrifice that sometimes can't be recovered from. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's as big of a thing as the Ring and Lord of the Rings. But, I mean, any responsibility to a certain degree comes at the cost of the self. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to, you know, to varying degrees, like, you know, writing, like, writing your taxes is a responsibility and it comes at the cost of, like, you know, you taking the time to do it and, you know, putting some of your money into the greater good, into, like, your community so and and that's different from like the responsibility of raising a child which is you know just incredibly <laughs> mentally and like emotionally just exhausting at times you know despite it like it is rewarding too but particularly the the parts of it that cost you like you know it can be a lot to go through and like be responsible for the entire life of a person so the stone is definitely something that Pan is responsible for. And I think it's important that in story two, when they got the stone, like it was more of, it was sort of a choice. Like they weren't forced to, you know, take the stone with them. And the character Selston was like, yeah, you're not a chosen one. Like if you say no, like I'll find the next person who I think is okay. <laughs> and like give them the stone. <laughs> So there is, like, this element of choice, and they can, like, put it down when they want to, but they've made it into this responsibility where they've seen parts of the world now, and they're learning more about themselves, about Waveskimmer, about the world, and how they all can help one another. So it is going to take you know, a lot of work. And Pana really does feel responsible for the stone and, like, wants to go and collect it when they think they've forgotten it back in the cave. So, yeah, we'll see at what cost, like, it, it comes at. Yeah, I have no idea. But this is making me think of back to the friendship. Like Shira, um, Adora makes choices that Katra just cannot understand at the very beginning. Um, Adora decides to leave the Horde where she and Katra were raised and trained to be soldiers, and it was not a happy upbringing. And Adora eventually decides to leave that, and Katra just never understands that decision that she makes for the majority of the show, and feels like Adora abandoned her when Adora was making a choice based on her own needs, and gave Katra the choice to come with her, but Katra at the time couldn't understand it and couldn't make the same choice with her with Adora 
So they, their relationship fractures because of that. But for Pana and Vare, it's making me think Pana also leaves the village, although not immediately leaving the village after discovering the dragons and meeting Wave Skimmer. But their priorities, I guess, change a little bit more gradually. Adora and Katra's severance or whatever is very abrupt. Adora is like, wow, the horde's evil, and literally decides in less than 24 hours to leave. And Whereas Pana takes an entire year to make that decision. But it does seem to me like the priorities and perhaps responsibilities that Pana is willing to assume changes over that time from what Vare has. And they started out on the same page, more or less, of like, we both love our village and living here, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives here, to Pana feeling like, I'm going to leave and travel with Wave Skimmer. This place is... I don't know exactly what reasons Pana had for leaving other than wanting to see the world and leave the village. I mean, that was all... So, like, Pana didn't choose to leave. That oh. was the whole... Um, oh. Yeah, they they went on, like, the hunting party, and then they discovered the existence of dragons, and, like, the dragons then, like, exited the cave and, like, proceeded to kill most of the hunting party people. And Vare was, like, the only survivor who, like, saw what had happened. But, I mean, she didn't realize that, like, Pana didn't, like, set the dragons on everyone. But that's what she thinks happened. So Pana, like, goes back to the village and they try to, like, figure out how to tell everyone and how to, like, live with everyone. And then it gets to the point where Vare finds Pana with Wave Skimmer again and convinces, like, the rest of the villagers to get rid of Pana, that Pana is, like, a menace and has this weird connection with the dragons that is a risk to everyone. So Pana's, like, forced to flee. Okay. Um, which is kind of... I mean, it is very different from Adora, because, like, Adora ultimately realizes that the Horde is, like, evil, and, like, you know, the village that Pana comes from is not evil. They're just people who are scared and rightfully so like a lot of people died because of the dragon incident and they all think Pana's responsible so that's all fair and I think there is this sense in Shira where like I mean we are mostly on Adora's side and even though we all love Katra <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that she is in the wrong and that she needs to do like a lot of introspection I really wanted to make that not the case here and like push the idea that even though Pana didn't do anything wrong, I don't think Vare is doing anything wrong either necessarily. Like, yeah, she could, you know, talk to Pana and get Pana's perspective on things, but I think based off of the information that she has it's reasonable to think, you know, it's reasonable for her to think that Pana's this scary, potentially threatening figure. Okay. I mean, I would question, how do we know that... Why? I wonder why Vare would assume that Pana could communicate with dragons to the point where they could set the dragons on the villagers, and what would? why would she assume that Pana would be motivated to do that in the first place? 
Well, she saw, I don't know about motivation, but she saw Panna with Waveskimmer in the cave. Both, like, that first time when Panna and Waveskimmer, like, first meet. Mm-hmm. And all the villagers, like, walk in and there's just, like, Panna with a dragon. Mm-hmm. And then that moment is, like, immediately followed by the rest of the dragons emerging from the cave and, like, killing most of the people. So it, a lot of it is, like, circumstantial and just, like, what you see and, like, what you experience... And then I guess, you know, there's a year of Pana just behaving, like, really strangely and just, you know, trying to navigate the whole, like, you know, village life after this event occurs. And then Vari eventually finds them with the dragon again, which really, I think, kind of pushes her, like, off the edge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I would say most of this in-between year hasn't been revealed for the story parts that I've read. So I guess I'm still catching up to like how Vare could be thinking and feeling. A lot of her characterization is a question mark to me because she's a very intense person from what I have seen, but I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I think the intensity is just like her character. Mm -hmm. And there's less of like a reason why that comes about. Just the, the focus on Panna and all that stuff is really just about, you know, her seeing the whole hunting party incident. But I don't think too much happens in, like, the year between the incident and Panna leaving. Except, like, it's really just Panna being unable to, like, integrate back into village life and, like, having this whole, like, weight on their shoulders of what happened. And then eventually, like, being discovered with the dragon again. So, but other than that, like, I don't think there's anything too, you know, momentous that, like, occurs. There's not, like, a single moment where it's, like, mm -hmm. Ovare suddenly, like, really shifts in her thinking. Mm -hmm. It sounds more like, I mean, obviously they grew up in the village together, so they would have known each other for their whole lives, pretty much. But I guess it sounds more like a, instead of like a giant chop with an axe to the relationship, like in Adora and Catra's case, it's more like a slow, steady, complete erosion of trust. Yeah. Like imagine if Adora had, or if Catra had seen Adora with the rebels, and then like there's a huge rebel attack like right then and there. But then Adora like goes back to the horde, and it's a year of like, her trying to defend her actions and be like, oh, I wasn't doing anything with those rebels. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't set them on the horde. And just, like, a year of those conversations and, you know, Katra being a person who is, like, just really distrustful, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's this gradual, just, like, breaking down of relationship. Mm -hmm. Which I think is, like, very, at least in my experience, I think is more realistic than like just you know one one moment usually now that makes a lot more sense to me because especially for someone you care about it's difficult to do a one and done throw this relationship and this person out of my life it's really difficult to just do it all at once like that without yeah. being you know shown time and again like this relationship is not working and a lot of small or bigger ways. 
I mean, and we see that with Catra, because even though the relationship is technically done, mm-hmm. we see that it's not done. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there's this continue, like continuous joke between her and Adora where like they'll meet up and Adora is like, oh, you let me escape because you like me. <laughs> um, so they, they, you know, continue to like navigate that. And I don't think their relationship. I mean, their relationship is pretty much done, but I think there's elements of it that remain and they continue to like. I don't know, push that, like, experience that, and... I would say their relationship isn't done, but just the friendship that they had before is done, and yeah. it's a different stage or form, which, for a good point, good portion of the show is just technically enemies and antagonist, but they still remember. Yeah. But then you have, like, these big moments where, like, Katja's like, okay, I'm gonna, like, destroy the world now, and then, like, you know, then the next episode, she's back to like, oh, I don't like you, Adora, but I'm not going to like kill you right now because I'm having too much fun talking to you. Um, yep. I, we haven't seen as many, <laughs> haven't seen as many moments like that with Vare and Pana, but they haven't interacted as much yet. But I love those moments. Yeah. I don't think like I have that many moments with them. Again, I mean, you know, Shira has much more airtime in story time than like my stories do um mm-hmm. and the writers are like much better writers and i'm still you know figuring things out and like working on developing my own writing i mean it's so, a team of writers it's not one person that too i don't know how i would deal with a team of writers i feel like i would be very frustrated just based off of my experience with writing comedy sketches with other people <laughs> group <laughs> projects hooray group project oh yeah, no, I hate group projects. They they are the worst. They create enemies. <laughs> they're, they're just not good for, for anything. Except when they work out, which I, I guess that might happen with some of you. I think you and I did a group project once. We did the bird class. Yeah. I remember really being frustrated with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, obviously we're friends now. I remember that. I mean, we weren't necessarily friends, though, because that was, like, our first semester of college ever. Yeah. I mean, I would say we were friends, but, you know, we'd only known each other for, like, three months at that point, so. Yeah. I think I, I liked you more after the class ended. But yeah. that's, like, not a you thing. That is a me, like, despising anyone I do a group project with. No, I... Um, which is something I need to work through. <laughs> I did... Well, I wasn't particularly the most invested in that class either. <laughs> I... I liked the pro- I liked the final product we had, but yeah, I think I was also like, we should have had some group meetings, more group meetings than we did, which I don't know if we had any. But now we're doing a much longer group project. So I guess that initial group project on the Whipper Will didn't completely ruin the future. No, this is much more enjoyable. Yeah, and I think too, like, I mean, I've gotten better at group projects since then, so. <laughs> no, I... And you're just, you know, you're insightful and incredibly smart, so this Aww. is this is working out better. Thank you. No, I couldn't do, well, this podcast was your idea in the first place, Peter. Uh, credit. <laughs> <laughs> it would not exist without you asking me, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? I'm just pushing everyone to do it you and Ling Shu. <laughs> um listeners thank peter for this podcast existing 
welcome. Um, okay, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think about story-related things now. I mean, I would say I don't know how toxic Pana and Vari's relationship is. It doesn't does not seem at the level of like insanity that is Katrin and Dora's relationship, for obvious reasons. The stakes are not quite as high as war, <laughs> although the stakes are still kind of high. We we just only Pana knows about that. Vari doesn't really know about the end of the world thing. Well, Pana doesn't know that quite yet. Oh yeah. Right now, at this point, I mean, they have the stone, and they don't realize that there's, like, potentially more apocalypses on the way. They just know that the stone, like, theoretically has the power to bring humans and nature, like, back together and to, like, save people. Like Nausicaa. Um, sort of, yeah. From, like, a very... Although Nausicaa has, like, a very specific threat in it, Pana's still, like unaware of the specifics and is like oh generally speaking this stone has the power to help people yeah but i think the stakes for their relationship though are a little bit more specific and you see like kai and vare talking you know kai isn't necessarily like a hundred percent going to stick with the plan of bringing pana back to the village like there is this discussion of you know, making Pana atone for the whole dragon thing out on their search. Because, like, so Kai, her father, was on the hunting trip, and he died. He was killed by a dragon. So Kai is, like, very angry and is kind of just dark at times and is like, oh, like, we need to, like, kill Pana too. I kind of um, thought Vare was like, yes. Or, she didn't say yes, but, like, I thought they were on the same wavelength with that. At this point, I think Vare kind of is. Like, I think she's telling herself that, like, they they both need to bring Pana back to the village. I don't think she would mind at this point. I mean, she would mind. Um, and obviously, if she did kill Pana, like, she would be really distraught for a while. But I think in their mind, like, they're also okay with the idea that they might need to kill Pana. Okay. So, like, the stakes are pretty high in that, you know, death may occur, which is not good. I mean, it probably won't occur just because I don't like that, generally speaking. I've killed off, like, way too many characters already. Um, Who's died? I mean, like, no one named. Oh, I mean... <laughs> just, the... like... <laughs> The random villagers, but I, I feel I very guilty I about that. I don't know if I count them. We never met See, them. I count them. Every one of them. Um, but, How many no, so were I, there? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's something I don't really like killing off characters if I can help it. But yeah, so I don't know necessarily if it's like toxic in the same way that Catradora is, where like Catra keeps like flip-flopping back and forth and like does some pretty messed up things and and whatnot. So I think it's like, I think with Pan and Vare, like yes, it is toxic and it's it's horrible and they need to like talk things through. But I think it's a lot more simple. Like it's a little bit more streamlined. Where like Vare has this particular image in her mind of what happened with Pana, and she wants to proceed based on that perception. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that fits with what I do know of her character so far. You obviously know your own character much better than I do. Right, but it's more of like, you know, this thing happened, therefore I am going to do this, and possibly maybe this other thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's incredibly complicated or just as as hectic as Catradora is. <laughs> all right, that's just another level. Yeah. I don't think all... I mean, I do appreciate that in some cases, but I don't think all friendships that break apart have to be that level of complicated. Because sometimes it just is, you know... It's painful enough to just have a friendship end. Mm-hmm. Well, Adora really just needs to, like, you know, end it and get rid of Katra's phone number. Not that <laughs> that's a real thing. That's just, like, the, the image I have. But yeah, so I guess we'll we'll see more about that moving forward. I did want to ask briefly just about your perception of Kai, because you said that she was great. <laughs> or not a, you know... I think we were talking and I was like, oh, she's just like a supporting character, doesn't really do much. And you were like, no. I don't know if that is still true. At this point, I don't actually, I don't feel like I have a very strong impression of her. I like her appearance, although I have questions about how it's possible, but I like the anime white hair and <laughs> pale skin. She looks like an icicle. <laughs> uh-huh. I like that. I appreciate the anime rest. If I, you don't watch anime, but I appreciate the anime girl representation and short hair. I don't know enough about her to have a very strong impression. I mean, I kind of got the, well, because Vare has had more page time, I got the idea that Vare was more extreme than Kai and that Kai was like, yeah, I'm very angry, could kill Pana, let's do it if it comes to it. But um, I got the idea that Vare had much deeper anger. I think Vare is like, probably more dangerous even though Kai is the one who's like talking a, a big game right now <laughs> yeah because right now Kai is just like oh you know Pana killed my father so like let's let's get them back for that but I think Vari definitely has like you know a more personal connection with Pana and it's just like scarier to me at least <laughs> no definitely Kai I mean, she has justified reasons for being angry and everything. Her father was killed. At least at this point, I would say her character hasn't been developed enough for me to feel like she is very as, as threatening. She's not the one who it took a lightning storm to convince her to stop pursuing Pana. Like, she's not at that level of obsession, as we've seen yet, that Vare is already at. She's still, yeah. you know, within the bounds of reason, even though all the other villagers turned back and Kai didn't turn back. I still think she's more on the reasonable side of things than Vare slash Katra is, because that sort of obsessive quality is definitely shared between them. Yeah. I kind of, um, I mean, Kai is sort of the Scorpia in the situation. <laughs> Not, I mean, Scorpia, no one is like Scorpia. Scorpia is an angel. But, yeah. But I definitely was thinking, like, when I was trying to come up with Kai, and I don't know if this, like, is true in the following stories, because I think I wasn't hugely consistent with Kai, but we'll see moving forward. But I definitely, like, pictured her as, like, the Scorpia in the background who is, like, 
more invested in this because of Vare than like for her own purposes, which right now isn't necessarily the case. Although we can already see like I guess the start of that in in the way that Kai, you know, wanted Vare to stop and like to to bandage her hand and like make sure that Vare was okay before going to Gapana. I would say that's more just for practical reasons. You'd have to be out of your mind to let somebody with a broken wrist go scale a cliff. Yeah. I mean, part part of it is definitely practical. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't think we're necessarily there yet. But in my mind, it was like the beginning of kind of, you know, Kai could be obsessive as well. But she's choosing practical over obsessive because of R.A. So it's not necessarily like, oh, she is a practical person. It's it's a deliberate choice to be practical mm-hmm. in this one. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I would say I'm thinking not that Vare is like villain material per se, but she's definitely set up as the antagonist. And um, not Vare. Kai is definitely the hench person. Uh, very henching. <laughs> um, and the hench person has to be filling in certain practical roles, you know, even if they're also wanting to get the protagonist and kill them. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Do you want to just talk like a little bit about the landscape there and like the tomb thing and the caves? Oh, I, I forgot what my thoughts were on that. I, I, yes, but uh, maybe you could start so I can remember. So a lot of the story takes place in these caves that also act as a tomb. So Pan and Vare, like, they see these carvings, they see statues, and it's basically like a mass... I don't know if it's a mass grave site or if it's like a tomb to a specific person, but all of the statues are of, like, soldiers. You know, they all have, like, their guns, their short military caps and stuff. Their short, like, buzzed hair. And... I was imagining this very differently. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, Um, I definitely was imagining it warlike, but, um... Still different. (laughs) I mean, how were you imagining it? I mean, when you said short hair, I kind of pictured, like, a bowl, a short bowl cut for some reason. Okay, I no, mean, they I are... was thinking if it's carved onto rocks, it would show up better if it was, like, a bowl cut. Because if it if it's just short hair that, like, conforms to the shape of your head, you couldn't see that in a rock carving. Unless it's a very good rock carving. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember them having hats, but they could have had hats. I think some of them did. But, I mean, it doesn't matter too much. Yeah, I thought the tomb was very interesting. My first thought was like, um, well, I wanted to talk about this. This is the line that I chose so that I could talk about it for when we share our favorite lines. But I was thinking, why does it have... I mean, you're obviously... It, it has to be a tomb because the author chooses for it to be a tomb, so it's a tomb. But um, 
being the reader, I was like, but why did the why do the characters have to interpret this place as a tomb? It could just as easily be like a, a bunker or, you know, a historical site or a, of cultural significance because I'm like thinking more from anthropological sense of like anthropologists get things wrong all the time where they're just like, I know exactly what this carving means and choose to interpret it through their own, from their own contemporary lens uh, with their own biases that they bring with it. So I was like, but why is this a tomb? It could just as well be something else just because you think it's a tomb. Um, but obviously it, it is a tomb because you say it's a tomb. But that's was my reaction at least when I read it. I mean, yeah, like now that I'm thinking about it, how would they know it is a tomb? Um, I mean, and they don't know, like they suggest that it might be. But they definitely like don't have anything similar you know, up in the ice where they're from. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I definitely just wanted, like, that feeling of, like, being in a tomb. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know if you get this at all, but, like, when I'm near, like, a grave site or, like, a graveyard, I get, like, this weird feeling. Not that there's anything, like, paranormal there. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but just definitely, like, I don't know, like, this this kind of, like, chill that I'm, like, trespassing in someone's like you know private area like they you know they're they're off being dead and they don't need me like walking all over them I, d I don't know if that makes sense at all but I feel like there's just this specific feeling attached to tombs and graves and places where dead people are and I guess like I kind of wanted that in there and like I don't know, maybe the characters kind of felt that too. Like, they have all these statues of these people, and they're like... I mean, already the sense that, like, this thing is, like, hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Definitely, like, the carvers, whoever, like, sculpted the statues, like, they're all dead. Like, this place is is dead. Even if it's not for a living per Like, even if it's not for someone who had died the place itself is kind of like this tomb of the past, like showing this not thing that happened, but like, I don't know, like this place that once was sort of. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely just wanted something that like was past and had an ending to it. Mm -hmm. No, I very yeah. much appreciate that. I definitely like that. Um, the vibe is definitely there. And I partly, I guess, that was my pushback for why it was a tomb necessarily. Because you can, for me, you can definitely still have that feeling. And I definitely have that sort of, there's, it's very similar vibe to being in a graveyard or adjacent to a graveyard or being in like an abandoned building or Near where I am right now, there's a mall that's um, completely shut down. And going past it is like creepy because it's like what once was, but is not now. And you can feel a, not a whole lot of history from the mall. I don't know anything about it, but you know, you can, you know what something used to be there and lives used to be lived in this particular spot and aren't anymore. And a graveyard is definitely a very similar vibe, but I guess my, my reaction was like, it didn't have to be a graveyard, but because also, I guess, I was thinking of it along the lines of like, the idea of lives being lived in the, and now are not, 
is a slightly different feeling from like a graveyard where this is where the dead are kept and lives are not necessarily lived in this space. It's just where the dead are are allowed to be or where we recognize and remember them, which is a slightly different feeling, but definitely I do get like, I. My brothers and I would used to like hold our breath in the car when we passed a graveyard and you know just for fun but also to like not let the spirits go inside us or whatever and it does have a, a feeling of remembering what came before and you know knowledge of like these are people there or people were I don't know if you consider the body the I don't know uh, I'm not going to get into the weird philosophy stuff but yeah i think the idea of it being like a mall or something um and that having like a similar but different feeling is really interesting mm -hmm. and i'm just thinking like the death of a place mm -hmm. like you said with like memories and things and like yeah i don't know so like maybe that could have been accomplished if i like had chosen something else that wasn't a tomb i think a tomb is still important too um, it serves the purpose. I think my thought had been more on like, it, like if there had been conversation, it's like, I wonder what this place was because there, this is a, a network of caves in this near this waterfall. And they're like, I wonder what this was. Maybe this was used for like religious purposes or maybe um, people used to live here. or Maybe it's a tomb and it being one of the options and leaving you know, leaving it a question of, like, how did these people live? We know so little about them. I mean, I definitely know that, like, my reasoning for wanting them to be soldiers was, like, emphasizing how much war was, like, a part of that past. Because once we get to story six, you'll realize, like, you know, I have a specific vision of how the apocalypse happened. You know, spoiler alert, it's just, like, war and you know, us destroying the world. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I definitely wanted to push that. Because, like, right now, at this point in the story, we have, like, ideas of what the past used to be. And then, eventually, we're gonna, like, really just, like, dive into specifics and, like, really tie this story back to our current, like, modern-day era. I think a lot of Story 6 takes place, like, during the apocalypse. Oh, no. So... Yeah, so you get to see a lot. You get to see, um, you know, someone who may have been the 45th president of the U.S., um, you know, give some orders to destroy the world. So mm -mm. It, it's, it ties it back, like, very specifically. So I think this was kind of, like, the first hint of that. Like, here's a bunch of statues of, like, these soldiers with, like, guns and stuff. And I think it's also just important that the cave ends up being destroyed. Just... First of all, like, this idea... I mean, Pan is, you know, not deliberately thinking, like, oh, we need to, like, destroy the past of war and move on to, like, peace and stuff. Like, no, they actively just, like, blew up the cave. So, like, clearly not. Um, I didn't think of it that way. I mean, I kind of, <laughs> personally, I thought it was a bit of an extreme reaction to be, like, the only way out of here is for Wave Skimmer to, like, destroy the roof of the cave when... Personally, I think it would have been much less, like, potentially dangerous for them to just, like, use their tail, use Wave Skimmer's tail to, like, sweep Vare and 
Kai aside, but obviously having the wider purpose of wanting to destroy this memorial to warfare is much more I mean, symbolic. I mean, specifically why Waveskimmer didn't just like sweep them. I did write in the story, like, oh, Waveskimmer was only the third most dangerous person in that cave. But, I mean, <laughs> they could still use... They're a dragon. They are bigger. They can, like, they they wouldn't kill them by sweeping them aside. Like, there's a difference between, like, physical strength and, like, willingness to kill. No, he's still, like... I mean, yes, he's a dragon, and, like, sure, he has some physical strength. I still think, in my mind, like, in, in a fight, like, Vari would still beat him, even though he's a dragon. And, like, Kai would still beat him, too. So, like, <laughs> I know that seems super unrealistic, but I, yeah, I just don't see Wave Skimmer. I feel like a lot of dragons are, you know, these, like, big tank-like creatures that just, like, you know, sweep aside armies and stuff. And that's just, like, not how I view Waveskimmer. He's, he's like, a, a little dog in a dragon body that isn't very capable of fighting. Okay. I need to see textual evidence of this. That was in there. I, I will point it out later. No, no, not not um, <laughs> not the statement that Waveskimmer is bad at fighting, but I need to see Waveskimmer be bad at fighting. Because... Oh, okay. Being told that he's bad, or to me, I read it as like Wave Skimmer's not willing to fight. Um, but I mean, I like the tail sweep or something isn't necessarily a fighting move. It's like he has a tail, he knows how to use his tail, he hopes to not harm them with a gentle sweep. Or, you know, I'm just seeing it from the mind of like he has a body with capabilities that humans just don't have. And he has no desire to harm, which would make him a bad fighter because he doesn't want to actually do damage. So he'd be holding back the whole time. But I just think if, if you demonstrated he has a complete lack of coordination or something, or if you demonstrated that he um, like, mm. doesn't actually, you know, maybe his spatial awareness is really bad and he like bumps into trees constantly or something. But being told that he's a bad fighter, I was not convinced that he would act uh, like I was. I mean, I wasn't convinced that he would like be useless necessarily. Mm -hmm. But like being willing to curb his own strength, I I believed that. Okay, I mean, I definitely need to like show it a lot more. <laughs> I think, I mean, part of what I was going off of is just like my own evidence of like me and sports being really bad. And I have some specific examples. So, like, you know, I'm I'm a relatively large person. Like, I've always been taller than everyone. There was one time in a basketball game in, like, elementary school. And I was, like, still taller than everyone else. So, like, theoretically, I had the physicality to excel and, like, always grab the rebound and never let anyone else get it. But anyway, I had the ball and, like, I accidentally knocked a kid over. So, like, I had the physicality to, like, knock this kid over. And then I dropped the ball and, like, helped him up, and his teammates took the ball and, like, scored. So, like, there's that. And when I played Quidditch, I was the keeper, and people would get past me all the time because even though I was, like, sometimes, you know, two feet taller than everyone else, I would still, like, be super unwilling to, like, you know, push people and actually defend the goals in a physical way. 
So my mind was just kind of going based off of that and like even though I have the physicality to like be a really good keeper, basketball player, like whatever, like that kind of unwillingness to really like engage in the physicality of those sports really like made me useless at them. That's part of how I was picturing Wave Skimmer. Although I do recognize like I do need to put a lot of work into like showing that more. But that's just kind of how I'm thinking of him right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get he's a soft-hearted creature, which I, I totally appreciate. I think dragons, in many cases, get a bad rap. I, I think not. <laughs> there are many kind and loving dragons in the world, and they're, just, they're not enough of them in, in literature. Um, All dragons are good dragons. <laughs> uh, so I definitely appreciate Wave Skimmer. I like, I like that Wave Skimmer is on the kind-hearted side um but yeah i definitely was thinking like maybe i come from a more willing to push people away kind of i mean i hate contact (laughs) sports i i have i avoid participating in contact sports but i was coming from the mind of like if it's a choice between him and pana being trapped in a cave he'd be he'd still be willing to like do a tail sweep or like just you know, run, have Pana climb on his back and run through them to the cave entrance and, like, they might get pushed down or scrape a knee or something. But that was what I thought until Pana was like, no, shoot at the cave ceiling, which will definitely hurt them more because there's going to be falling rock and water. Well, I think in their mind they were like, oh, the water is just going to, like, sweep everyone out of the cave while gently. And, like, they have no idea. (laughs) It's like, Again, this is, like, the first time they're even experiencing, like, water. So, they're they're learning. They don't know what rocks do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think the, the thought process needs to be written out for every, every scene like that of, like, what do we do? I think A and B and C, let's do that. Good plan. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I did. I was... A little skeptical of like there's easier solutions than melting the ceiling of the cave but are there cooler solutions (laughs) no um no i i I take your point but no definitely a story it makes for a better story that's what we're here for so now before we end we want to pick out a favorite line that we each had and just talk briefly about it so we're both trying to find our lines, and I found mine. So I'm going to talk about my line really quickly. Okay, so here it is. How easy it was to lose sight of all life on the Earth. And this is when Pana realizes that they forgot the stone back at the waterfall cave area. And they're, you know, super nervous about it. And they're like, oh, how could I forget? And Wave Skimmer's like, you know, it's not your fault. Like, people forget things. And you were being attacked by, you know, an old friend. I just thought it was very poignant. And like, yeah, we lose sight of a lot of things, like, all the time. And especially, like, this idea of all life on the Earth. And we tend to, like, just be super focused on only that that is around us and I really want like part of this story is like pushing Panda to think more about 
things outside of the village and to experience all these other places and to learn about all these other people and just realize that everyone is going through things and that we need to like take care of everyone which is like super important all the time but like especially now just with all the news about like Ukraine and right now and there's just a lot of conversation about like how do we help like what do we do and there's a lot of just people who are like no like we shouldn't help at all and like what there's i mean you know tucker carlson's being played on like russian media sites because he's you know advocating for russia mm. which is just insane he's awful but i think the point there is like rather than go that route and like just be unconcerned about these people and i'm not saying like you know go in like guns ablazing, but like in in our own lives trying to just keep in mind what's happening in other places and even if it feels irrelevant to us you know everyone's life matters and like we just need to think more about what other people are going through even in other countries like miles away from from where we are hundreds of miles away so i think that's kind of what i wanted to convey with like this story in general but like also this line yeah, we don't always do a great job of, like, thinking about other people and doing what's best for everyone, because we do forget. But I want to try to not forget as much. Agreed. I, I definitely for forget all of the time. So what line do you have, Izzy? <laughs> well, I gave it away. Um, I chose the line, We think it's a tomb, said a voice from behind them. That was Kai speaking. When... Pana and Waveskimmer enter the cave and are like, what the heck are all these statues? Mm. And then, of course, Vare and Kai were hiding behind the statues and are like, haha. Um, but I chose that because of our previous tomb conversation. I wanted to be like, is this really a tomb? You think it's a tomb, but is it a tomb? It could be something else. But I just was in the contrarian mood, I guess. Yeah. I think, too, what I wasn't realizing, um, you know, Kai follows that up by saying, like, you know, this isn't, like, a tomb that you created, but, like, you know, you're dangerous, like, you are still, like, dangerous, and you, like, basically did the same thing back home. Um, not in, like, the construction, like, Pana didn't go through and, like, carve out a bunch of stones and statues, but just the idea of, like, Kai believes that you know, Pana killed a bunch of people and, like, could have created a tomb, like, this size. So I guess, like, maybe, I don't know, there's this idea of just, like, trying to show Pana what the other characters think they did, in a way, like, bringing them into this space and being, like, we know you didn't kill the people in here, but, like, we you know from our perspective like you killed you you essentially committed like the same atrocity sort of i mean indirectly they kind of did not that obviously the dragons made their own choice to murder but if pana hadn't been a curious cat then <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have gone into the glowy blue cave and the dragons wouldn't have felt threatened 
And even though, like, obviously the consequences of their actions were completely unforeseen, it was the consequences of Pana's specific actions. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, maybe... Because we, you know, we talked about why they think this is a tomb. And, like, maybe it is just, like, a projection of, you know, Kai and Vari being, like, we want Pana to see this as a tomb. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I would, I definitely like that interpretation. It's manipulative, but definitely fitting their purposes. And also probably Pana would be like, yep, I'll eat this right up. I feel guilty. Indeed. Izzy, do you have any final overarching thoughts? I think it's good that um, Pana and Vare have a complicated relationship that's not really a friendship anymore. But I, I appreciate the demonstration of, you know, complicated relationships. Because this, especially for a book that's targeted towards um, younger-ish audiences, not adults at least, it's valuable for kids to have an appreciation for like you know it's not always cut and dry of like we're friends and friendship lasts forever and nothing can ever truly come between us which things happen sometimes that you can't plan for and relationships are messy sometimes and complicated and painful but i think it also you know increases the understanding and empathy people have for other people like when i was a kid and other kids would be having drama in middle school. I'd be like, what stupid idiots. I was very mean in my head. I didn't say, I didn't talk to people like that way. But in my head, I was very much like, this is a dumb problem. And why are you even upset? Um, <laughs> I was not understanding of the finer points of middle school melodrama. Um, because I didn't really directly experience any myself. Because I, did, I was not involved in that kind of thing. But... I think, at least reading about it, you can understand there are some relationship things that just don't work out the way you hope they do, even if it's two people who aren't bad people. Things between people just don't always work out. Even if on both sides it's like, you're being stupid, you're being stupid, why is this not working? Yeah, I, I know... Um... I mean, this isn't something that might come across in the writing. Like, I have no idea if it does, and probably not. Um, but as I was going through this, like, I really wanted to push this idea of both sides being wrong. Because I feel like there's this common phrase of, like, oh, everyone's right from their own perspective. But, like, what happens when those perspectives are wrong? So, like, I, I'm not really interested in justifying everyone's perspective i really just want to push this idea that like you know maybe like both parties are just wrong so and like again i don't know if that necessarily comes across like especially with pana i don't i don't know and i guess that is part of like the whole like cave breaking thing just this idea of like Pana not understanding the risks sometimes and the potential harm to others. Um, 
I mean, definitely more like with Vare, you see that like, you know, she's definitely wrong, even though she thinks she's right. But I guess just like, I mean, a lot of our conversation this time has been like about how these characters have different motives and like where they're coming from and how oftentimes like I need to like show that a little bit more. So I think just the the advice that I would give is to like really think about your characters, what you want them to do, what you want them to be like, and try to just be mindful of how you present that. Because at the end of the day, like you might have ideas about a character, and if it's not in the text, like it's not in the text. So I don't think it's as simple as doing you know, a J.K. Rowling and going on Twitter and saying this is what happened if it <laughs> didn't happen in the text. So, yeah, I think that's what I would I would say. Yeah. And I think, you know, I feel sometimes I've read some things into Vare or into Pana where I don't know if it's your intention for how they're supposed to be thinking or feeling, but leaving some openness for how your readers might interpret things that are different from your intention, but could add a lot more depth to the to the whole reading. Indeed. I look forward to seeing both sides being wrong. I haven't seen enough, I think, by this story for to be convinced. Yeah, and I don't think Pana ultimately is shown to be wrong in any way, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think I succeeded at that idea, but I mean, definitely, like, they do some stuff, and, like, I don't think they're, like, this 100%, like, pure character, but we'll, we'll see going forward what, what happens. Indeed, and with that, have a wonderful day, night, afternoon, whatever time you happen to be listening to this, listeners. And don't forget to check out the link to our Patreon in the description of this episode. Yep, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.